Thanks, um, Shaky. It's great to see you this evening. Uh, just a couple of things to say. This is our last Crosslands uh, for a short while now. And uh, if you're in the group that gathers after, that's still going to meet for one final session, seven o'clock down in the Fraser Chapel after we've finished. And next week, it's a members meeting at seven o'clock. And if you're a member, you'll receive a letter during the week giving you, I guess, an agenda for that. So that's our, our notices. As I mentioned last week, one of the greatest encouragements, if not the greatest encouragement, of a Sunday evening is having the young YPF here. But tonight also we've got the JF here, and I think some fusion here as well. That's brilliant, and uh, it's so good to see you. Now, I'm going to say tonight, we're, we're talking about a subject about God himself, the Holy Spirit. And perhaps for, for those in fusion uh, and in uh, JF, there's going to be a lot of stuff that it's just boom, 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 boom. It will just be too much. You have uh, some notes. Unfortunately, tonight, there's nothing to draw on. There's no words to fill in. It's simply uh, all these, uh, these great truths about the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does in our life. So it's an impossible thing we're going to try and do in the next half hour, but it's just brilliant to see you here. If you just go home with one thing from both sides, one from either side, one truth about what the Holy Spirit does and one truth about uh, who he is, that would be absolutely brilliant. So it's great to have you and uh, let's get straight into it. The Holy Spirit and what he does. Now, there's a danger that we can think of the Holy Spirit in some kind of um, Star Wars form. Who's a Star Wars buff here? Come on, you can own up. Uh, here we go. Okay, what's, what's the motto from Star Wars? May the force go with you. May the force go with you. If you've never watched Star Wars, don't worry, but if you're into sort of science fiction and all those brilliant things, it's great to watch it. Star Wars, may the force be with you. And sometimes, as Christians, or just generally, we can think of the Holy Spirit as some kind of mysterious force. May the force go with you. But he's not like that at all. That's not who he is. Or some kind of magical influencer that if we got hold of him, uh, we could use his power. Uh, there was a man called Simon, uh, we read about in Acts chapter 7, who thought of the Holy Spirit like that. When he saw the Holy Spirit at work, he thought, hey, I want some of that. And he thought he could buy it. And uh, it was a very serious mistake he made. You can read about it in Acts chapter 8. So he's not some mysterious force be with you. He's not some magical influencer. Nor, and this is, you're an adult here, you may have heard this. You might have somebody say to you, well, I'm a spirit Christian. I'm more into the spirit. And others would say, well, I'm a word Christian. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that, Horace? They're together. You can't separate them. They belong together. There's no such thing as saying, I'm a spirit Christian. It's what I'm interested in. And another person said, well, I'm a word Christian. I'm a Bible Christian. No, the two go absolutely together. And the Bible reveals the Holy Spirit to be a distinct person within the Godhead. Now, God is a mystery in so many ways because he lives in three persons, but he's one. 
Now, you just can't get your head around that. But the Bible shows them to be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, one in three. All equal. So the Holy Spirit exists in the mystery of the Godhead. He's in harmony with the Father and with the Son. He delights to do what they want him to do. But he's equal with him. If you were here this morning, Mike referenced Isaiah 6. And what was it that um, the, the, the seraphs, the, the angelic beings, were shouting as they, they filled the temple with God's glory? Three, well, one word, three times. What was it? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You see, that's Trinitarian. That's three. One in three, holy, holy, holy. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when we think about who he is, I'm going to do something ridiculous now. In the next five or seven minutes, I'm just going to list some of the things he does. There are a massive amount of books. Uh, there are lectures that you can read on this. So this is a totally inadequate, just like a bird's eye view, really, as to who he is. He is, as we've said already, equal with God the Father and God the Son. Remember Jesus, in his, one of his last times with the disciples, he said to them, go into all the world and do what? Go and have a nice time? Go to McDonald's? No, what did he say? Go and make disciples. And when people have become followers of Jesus, you'll, then he said, he went on to say, and baptize them, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus was forcing home the point that God is three in one and one in three. When a person is baptized, you've probably seen it here. They, they are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That just isn't a kind of form of religious words. It's actually saying, you belong to God. And this is what God is like. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's equal to God the Father. The apostles uh, pick up on the same theme. So in, in 2 Corinthians 13, that, uh, that phrase that we often say to each other from the Bible, may the, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's not just a, a nice Christian thing to say at the end of a time together. It's actually saying, as we go out into a new world and in a new day and a new week, then we do so in the knowledge that God is with us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's equal to God the Father. He is personal. He's not an it or a thing. He is actually a person. He is personal. So we're going to look at this in a moment. But in John 16, uh, verses 8 to 11, Jesus tells us about his work. His work is to convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment. Before any of us become a Christian, it's God's Spirit that's at work personally, because he is a person to person in our lives, convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. But he's distinct from God the Father and God the Son in his mission. Jesus said, he will bear witness to me. 
He will bear witness to me. That's his function. Just as male and female have different functions, they're equal, we're totally equal in the sight of God, we have different functions. Just as a husband and a wife have different functions, they're equal in God's sight. So the Holy Spirit is equal with God, but he has a different function. And his prime function is to take Jesus into the world. So here's the marvelous thing, that tonight, as we're sat here in Chesington, the Holy Spirit, this is mind-boggling, the Holy Spirit is at work in France and Italy and Spain, and you can keep going around the globe. He's at work in Asia and Africa and South America. So that today, God's people are knowing his power, his influence, his voice in their life. That's his mission. His mission is to take the gospel and bring it to men and women so that they become Christians, bring them alive in him, and then, just as Sam read for us, to to build them up together in their faith, in their following of the Lord Jesus. So he's equal to God the Father, he's personal, he's distinct in his mission. He can appear in visible form. Remember, at Jesus' baptism, he appeared as a dove. The dove of peace, because the God of peace had come. Then at Pentecost, he appeared as fire. As we thought this morning, as we were taught this morning, that presence of God in fire. He came in tongues of fire. He can appear in visible forms, although he is a spirit. Here's an interesting thing. He can be sinned against. Sometimes as Christians, we read those verses in Matthew that talks about the unforgivable sin sinning against the Holy Spirit and we're perplexed what can that be what is it to sin against the Holy Spirit basically it's to refuse Jesus it's to refuse the gospel we can get very troubled that we've sinned against the Holy Spirit when we haven't the big sin against the Holy Spirit is to resist God in the message he sends us in the gospel but we also read in Ephesians that he can be grieved He can be saddened. Now, if you're a spirit, if you're just an object, if you're a thing, if you're a force, you can't really be grieved, can you? You've got to be a person to be grieved. The spirit is grieved when we fall and fail. It's not the end of the deal. It's not the end of the matter, but he's grieved. The spirit groans, we're told in Romans 8, because we groan, we groan. The world we live in groans, says Romans 8, We groan as Christians, how much longer, Lord? And the spirit groans because he sees all this going on and he feels exactly the same. He is a person. He can be sinned against, he can be grieved, he can be kept in step with. And that's a very, very personal thing, isn't it? If you go on a walk to keep in step with somebody, quite tricky at times, isn't it? Especially, I work with a guy who's about six foot eight, If you've ever tried to keep in step with somebody who's six foot eight, walking along, it's not easy. Because your little feet are going like this and he's just taking these enormous strides. But the picture that the Bible uses of a Christian is to keep in step with the spirit. I want us to come back to that a little bit later on. What's the spirit doing in our lives? We've got to keep in step with him. And he has gifts. We read in uh, 1 Corinthians and Galatians, Uh, about the fruit of the Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit. He equips us. 
He gives us things. It's quite remarkable because you may be here tonight, especially as a younger person, and you think, you know, I could never do that. I could never do that in serving God. I just, I just couldn't see myself doing it. And yet here's the remarkable thing, that God actually kind of initiates that in you, but says, no, you can't do it in yourself, but I can help you do it. And he'll send people alongside you to train you and help you and equip you. And in five years' time, you find a remarkable thing. You might actually be helping in one of the youth groups that you've been part of. Because God has given you the gift of, of caring or the gift of wanting to teach other people about him or the gift of just looking out for them and watching over them. He gives gifts. He's wonderful in his distribution. So his presence is there in the Bible from the very beginning to the very end. In fact, in Genesis 1, uh, we're told he hovered over the formless void of creation. The world was there in a formless void and the spirit and then Jesus spoke. Let there be. And there was. How did it happen? The spirit got to work. What power he has to create out of nothing. But that's his power. The Holy Spirit, you see, he's right there at the beginning of the Bible. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right there in Genesis 1. But right at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 22, we're told that the Spirit is there again and he's helping God's people to enter heaven. He's completing God's work in them. So he's got a very specific role in the universe and in the will of the Father and of the Son. And that role is all tied up with what we call redemption or buying back or God buying us to belong to him. And without the Spirit, it is impossible to know God. So you can't be a Christian and not know the Spirit. You can't be a Christian and say, well, I'm just a Bible Christian. No, no, you're a spirit Christian. The Spirit of God is in you, waking you up, drawing you to the Lord Jesus. So he's not absent in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, we've already seen he's there in creation. He was there prompting the prophets, leading them and guiding them. But of course, it's mainly in the New Testament that we see his activity most clearly. And at this point, just come with me, please, to John chapter 7 and verse um, 39. John chapter 7 and verse 39. Well, we'll read it from 37. Jesus said, If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water talking about the Holy Spirit, it's a picture of living water, will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up till that time the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Or just continue, would you just, just to John 16 and verse 17. Then I'm going to ask you to talk to the person next to you and, uh, and uh, think about a question I'm going to put. So in John 16, Jesus, taking his leave of the disciples, is about to go to the cross. He's preparing them for his departure. And he says this in chapter 16, verse 7. Very truly, I tell you, it's for your good 
that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove to the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, why is it good? Why was it good for the disciples, for Jesus to go away to heaven? Why is it good for Jesus to be in heaven right now and not here, but to send the Holy Spirit? Why don't you talk to the person next to you? I'm going to give you about half a minute, three quarters of a minute. Just why is it good? Think about it. Why is it better for Jesus to go away and send the Holy Spirit? It's not over complex, so I don't overthink it. Okay, I'm going to ask. I'm not going to ask the front, though, because it's brilliant that you're sat here at the front. And you'll know, if you ever talk to people, you want them near you. You don't want them at the back. So there's a penalty for sitting at the back. And the penalty is this. Why is it good? Why did Jesus say it was good? Andy Winter. Right, we may not have heard that, but it was surprisingly a very good answer for somebody sat on the back. <laughs> he said, if Jesus doesn't go, the Holy Spirit isn't sent. But when the Holy Spirit is sent, you see, Jesus could only be present at one place at one time, even with the disciples, wasn't he? He wasn't everywhere. He was in Jerusalem. He was in Bethlehem. He was in Judea. He was in one place at one time. But he's saying, actually, if you could look down the years and the centuries, there are going to be millions of Christians. And every one of them, I'm going to be with them. It can't happen if I, as a man and a God-man, go back to heaven. It can't happen. But because I go back to heaven, I send the Holy Spirit, and he can be with every one of you. That's why it's good. So tomorrow, school is still on when we're at school. If we're a Christian, God the Holy Spirit is with us. When we're at work, God the Holy Spirit is with us. When we're at the school gate, wherever we are, God is with us by the Holy Spirit. Which when you think about that, is absolutely mind-bending, isn't it? That God, the God who made the heavens, the earth, and everything in it, as the Bible puts it, the God who knit us together, in our mother's womb, the God who made the beauty and the intricacy and the wonder of life and made each of us individual so that we've all got our own fingerprint, that God can live in you and me. There's no greater miracle than that. It's wonderful. It's unbelievable. It would be unbelievable if it wasn't true. But what does it look like? What does the Holy Spirit 
do. Well, let's turn over to the second page, because on the second side, we've just listed just 10 things. And again, we're going to canter through because there's so much here. But before we do that, can I remind you that when Steve started Crosslands, how long ago was that, Steve? Two terms back? Something like that. Here's another man at the back, you see, so I've got to pick upon him because he's, he's really at the back. And uh, he says, yes, he did. Very helpfully, he made the point when we began that these Sunday evenings, looking at this material about what we believe as Christians, is not intended just to fill our heads with knowledge. It's never given for that person, for that purpose. In fact, that's about the most ugly thing that could happen if it doesn't evidence in our lives. Steve made the point, what we're doing here is that we might know and therefore love and enjoy God all the more for who he is. It's like getting to know somebody. You see, you think you know somebody. I'm married 50 years now. And when we got married, I thought I knew Val, and she probably thought she knew me. But 50 years on, you really know somebody, don't you? Because that's what any friendship is about. It's getting to know you. As the song goes, getting to know you, getting to think all about you. That dates me terribly. But that's what it's about. And this Crosslands course is that we can know God and we can enjoy him and we can love him and we can marvel that he's shown his grace to us whatever age we are. That's the purpose of looking at this to understand, wow, I thought you were big, but I didn't realize how big you are. So that's what our purpose is. And the Christian life, you see, is, is an experience. It's, it's, to, it's to show up in our ordinary, everyday lives. And here, here are 10 ways in which the Holy Spirit works in the life of a church, in the life of a Christian. The first thing he does is to, to point to Jesus, to exalt Jesus, to say how great and lovely and wonderful is the Lord Jesus. He wants us to be increasingly impressed by him. In fact, he wants Jesus to be number one in our lives. There's lots of songs we teach the children. Jesus, number one. That's actually profound theology, believe it or not, in that chorus. He is number one in the universe, and when we get in line with him, he's to become number one in our life. That's a lifetime's work. But the work of the Holy Spirit is to work in us to say, do you see Jesus? Do you see how fantastic he is? Do you see how, how holy he is? Do you see how gracious he is? Do you see how kind he is? How patient he is? And the more you travel on, you think, wow, that's the case. Jesus put it like this in John 16. He, the Holy Spirit, will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and the Spirit will take what is mine and make it known to you. Wow. So the first job, if we remember nothing else, that's what he's about in our life, that we might say how great Jesus is. One of the old uh, writers years ago, called a Puritan, put it like this. Truth, the truth about Jesus, must ascend from our head to our hearts. Hold on, what's wrong with that? Ascend? 
You're going down, Jesus. You're going down, Trevor. Ascend from our heads to our hearts. Yes. Because what they meant was this. The heart, for all of us, is the center of our being. It's how we think. It's how we, we look out upon the world. It's the things that we long for. It's the very real part of us. The real me. Jesus must ascend from our head, just knowledge, into our hearts so that every day we wake up thankful, delighted that we belong to this Jesus. His second job is as an agent of salvation. His mission and his work is to convince an unbeliever in three areas. We read it there in John 16, verse 8 to 11. When the Spirit comes to work in the life of a person, what does he do? He convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. And by sin, in that context, Jesus tells us, it means the sin of refusing Jesus. There's no bigger sin than that. We might seek to categorize sins in our mind, think there's some that are worse than another, and we don't see Jesus rejecting Jesus as number one in that. Well, actually it is. And when the Spirit comes into our lives, starts to move in us, starts to unsettle us, starts to speak to us through the Word of God, it starts to show us what an atrocious thing it is to think, to think that about Jesus, to resist him. I became a Christian a long time ago, about 3,000 years ago. No, you're still with me. No, it was actually 60 years ago. And it was somebody in this church, not in this building, but another one, another young person who showed me the gospel, taught me the gospel. But a battle went on in my life. I thought, yeah, that's all right. That's, that may be true, but it's for old people. It's for people who are 40 or people who are 50. Or 60. I tell you what, when I'm a bit older, when I'm 40, 50, 60, 70, I'll get serious about it. And then, God met with me. He showed me how stupid that was. I had no guarantee of tomorrow, let alone the next 10, 20, 40, 60 years. And worse than that, it was to think that I knew better than God. And I was rejecting Jesus' rightful rule over my life. When he comes, he will convict of sin, the sin of keeping him at arm's length, the righteousness that Jesus is the only way to be right with God, and judgment, judgment, that God will call us to account. And the question will be, you knew about me, you were told about me, you knew about my son, you knew he died on the cross, but you kept him at arm's length, you didn't want him. There's a judgment to that. There's judgment for the whole world, but that's individual, one by one. So when the spirit comes, he starts to rough us up in a way. It's very unsettling because it doesn't feel necessarily good and glad and warm it's actually quite troubling am I guilty of that yeah am I shunning Jesus because he's the only way mm. is there a judgment yes and the spirit comes and that's a wonderful work isn't it if he does that in our lives and Jesus says that's the agent of salvation but alongside that he brings us to life. Regeneration, number three on our list there. Just as God formed man from the dust by breathing life into him, so Jesus 
brings life, a new order of life, to his disciples. Let's have a look at that. In John chapter 3, um, verses um, 3, or chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. Jesus talking to a very religious man called Nicodemus, a genuine guy, really wanted to know God, and he says this, but he was clueless about God. He said, very truly I tell you, verse 5, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water, in other words, born physically, and of the spirit, the spirit of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound. You cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. You see, the spirit's work is to bring new life to us. People reflect it in all kinds of ways, in songs and poems and so on. I once was blind, but now I see. Uh, I once I didn't understand, but now I do. Why, why, was, why was it? Well, that truth was so self-evident all these years. Well, because the Spirit hadn't come to open up your ears and open up your eyes and open up your heart. But when he does, wow, that's a game changer. It's called new life. Jesus called it being born again. Being born again. And if we don't have that, we remain spiritually dead. So we must be born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. We can't do that for ourselves. It requires God, the Holy Spirit, to come and open up our minds and our hearts and our will to himself. It's a great work. It's an uncomfortable work. But it's the greatest work in all the world. Then... When that happens, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and seals believers. Now, this is really, that's not a seal in the sense of wah, 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 like a seal. It's a seal in the sense of, in the, in the old days, when this was written uh, in, in Ephesians, the, the picture was this. I, imagine uh, there's, there's a, a port, a place where the big ships are coming. They unload the cargo. And uh, some of that is your cargo. But you just want to leave it there and go away, do something else, come back in a week or two's time to collect it. So what do you do? What do you do to prove that it belongs to you? Well, you take some wax and you pour it, this, this wax, and then you have your stamp and you stamp in the wax, this belongs to Mike Tyndall or this belongs to whoever. And the Holy Spirit does that in our life, says Paul. He, he puts his seal upon us. And if you're a Christian, Christian, he says, you belong to God. This woman, this man, this young person, they belong to God. It's the seal of the Holy Spirit. It's like a, a down payment. You know, sometimes when you're buying something and you can uh, you just put a down payment on it and say, oh, I'll come back later and give you the rest of the money and get the goods. The Bible uses that kind of picture to say the Holy Spirit is a down payment from God that says one day he's going to come back and take you to be with himself. It's a down payment guaranteeing what is to come. There's no doubt about it. There's nothing that can stop it. 
but there's just a time period. So the Holy Spirit seals that life of God in a believer. It assures us of God's mercy and of God's grace. It assures us of God's love in the face of our failure and sin. But also, this is a big one, and uh, we've only got a few minutes left now, by living in, indwelling God's people. Here's a marvelous thing. It says in the Bible, the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are a child of God. How do you know if you're a Christian? There's something quite mysterious goes on. God's spirit witnesses with your spirit that you belong to him. Because it works like this. You say, well, perhaps I'll turn my back on Jesus. I won't, I won't follow him. I'm, it's getting too hard. The spirit comes and says, that's foolish. That's foolish. You're a Christian. That's a stupid thing to do. Or perhaps we say, you know, I've really messed up big time. I've sinned in ways you've no idea. I can't be a Christian. How can I be a Christian if I go on sinning? If you're troubled by that, can I tell you that's a really good thing? Because it's evidence of the life of God in you that you're troubled. You see, if you're not a Christian, you don't worry about that. Sin, what's that? Oh, don't worry about that. But if you fail, if you sin, you're really troubled by it. It's actually a great assurance that you belong to God. It doesn't end there because God goes on meeting up with us and changing us, just as he did King David, who sinned terribly. And yet God said to him, God said to him, you're forgiven. And David said to God, against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. But it's the Spirit of God witnessing with our spirit. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes to live in us. We talked a little bit earlier about keeping in step with the Spirit. It also talks about being filled with the Spirit. It's living under the rule of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. It's a remarkable thing. So there you are, school, college, university, in the workplace, at home, just look the same as other people, have the same struggles as other people, same failings as other people, same joys as other people, same ambitions as other people, but there's something uniquely different. God indwells you. He lives in you by his spirit. It's a miracle, an absolute miracle, and it's produced by God himself. And that's seen by producing the fruit of God's character in our life. Now then, one last question. Please turn to Galatians 5 and verse 22. It says in Galatians 5 and verse 22... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many fruits are there? One? You sure? What about all those? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. I think there's, is that nine? 
How many fruits are there? Push back, push back, don't worry. Paddy, how many fruits? He's certain there's one. He's right. It's singular, you notice. You see, when we read that, we think, oh, right, God's at work in my life. Um, let's see how I'm getting on. Love, oh, we'll forget about that one. Um, joy, well, sometimes. Peace, not often a much of that. I say, I, forbearance, patience, hmm. kind. Yeah, I can be kind. I'm a kind. That's the fruit of God's spirit in my life. They say, no, it's actually, it's not one in isolation. It's not that I'm a, a Christian who happens to be patient and you're a Christian who happens to love and you're a Christian who happens to have joy. It's saying, no, all those things are describing God's character, what God is like. And here's the remarkable thing. The work of the Spirit is to, to make us, day by day, step by step, a little bit more like the God who lives in us. So we become a bit more patient, a bit more joyful, a bit more kind, a bit more gentle, self-controlled. It's a lifetime's work, but that's the fruit of the Spirit. It's a lifetime. There's a battle to be fought, and there's a race to be run. It's a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. But as we said last week, it's a good battle. It's the best of all battles. It's the greatest of all races. Because this is what happens. God slowly changes our behavior. Well, our time has gone. Let's very quickly look at the last few. Spirit comes to help us to pray. Anybody good at praying in the room? Well, we wouldn't say we were, would we? But maybe some of us. But none of us are good at praying. That's the point. None of us naturally are good at praying. But here's the thing. The Spirit works in our weakness and helps us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. God's at work in us. And do you remember I said earlier, it's about relationship. What do you do in any relationship? What's the one thing you do? Scott? Compromise, could be. It's not the answer I was looking for, of course. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll speak later about that one. The, um, no, we know we're all at that point. It's to talk, isn't it? We talk to one another. Prayer is simply talking to God. God talks to us through the Bible. He speaks to us every day through his word. But we talk to him about those things in our life and in the world and people we want to see become Christians. And to help us do that, he gives us the Holy Spirit and he gives us one another. Prayer very often in the New Testament is very plural. It's very plural. We need one another to help us to pray. The Spirit gives us one another to help us to pray. The Spirit, Jesus intercedes for us. So the Spirit helps us to pray. The Spirit gifts us and guides us for work, of which, of, for work and witness. True worship, as Romans 12 points out, is not what we do in church on a Sunday it's what we do 24-7. That's worship. What we do on a Sunday is praise. What we do by way of worship is how forbearing we are, how patient we are, how kind we are, how generous we are, because that's all the fruit of God at work in us. And God gives us for that. God enables us to understand the Bible. The Spirit not only inspired the Scriptures, he causes it to be inspiring in our life. It says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, 
and training in righteousness. Whatever God does lines up with the Bible. If you get somebody come to you that says, oh, God told me, and they can't show you it from the Bible and correctly show it from the Bible, then there's no certainty that God has told them. Anybody can say, God told me. It's often used to manipulate people. Don't be fooled by that. Don't be awed by that or overwhelmed by that. God never speaks other than in line with his word. I had a friend who, who somebody came to me, came to him once and said, God has told me, God has told me, you should give me a job. That's a good one, isn't it? God's told me you should give me a job. And my friend Dave, quite sharp, bit of an East End lad, said, well, he hasn't told me that. <laughs> and until he does, you ain't got a job. He was bang on, absolutely bang on. God speaks through his word. We can be certain of that. And finally, and this is in the future, this is the wonderful thing, that God's Holy Spirit actually gives life to our mortal body. Now, JF, YPF, you wouldn't appreciate this, but your body is dying. All the people sat on the back row, they're sat there because they couldn't get to the front row because <laughs> their bodies are dying. My body is dying. Pieces fall off as you get older. But here's the remarkable thing. The work of the Holy Spirit that's inside the Christian is actually going to be at work one day to take our old, failing, dead bodies and transform them just as he did the body of Jesus. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead? He looked the same, but he didn't. He had the same powers, but he had new powers. It's a remarkable thing. And he's the firstborn from the dead. He's the pattern for what we're going to be like. And that's a remarkable work of the Holy Spirit, that at the end of every Christian's life, the Holy Spirit doesn't say, oh, okay, I've done my best with you now, that's it, you're in the grave, that's the end of it. He say, no. I've got one last thing to do for you, and that's bring you back to life on the great day of Christ. Ten activities of the Holy Spirit any one of which is worthy of much more than we've been able to do this evening. How do I know I'm a Christian? The Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we're the children of God. And that can be at any age. Fusion age, JF, young people. It can be amongst older people who've spent their life resisting God. God's not hidebound by our age, but he is determined not wanting anybody to perish. What when I mess up? Psalm 51. God doesn't give up. He uses that, that brokenness, that failure, to draw you closer to himself. Create in me a new heart, O Lord. What's the sign of the Spirit at work? This is the remarkable thing. Look around. If I'm looking at a person who's a Christian, there's nothing that special about them, is there? Two eyes, a nose, a bit of hair, maybe failing hair, that kind of stuff. Just ordinary people. But this is the extraordinary thing. This is the miraculous. This is God at work. In the life of those very people, God is at work, bringing them to himself, 
sending them out to make him known and one day raising them from the dead in the power of the Spirit to be with him forever. What a God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we have not done justice to who you are. How could we? And, but we thank you for what you've shown us about yourself. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. I do pray for these dear young people and these children that are here this evening. Lord, that their hearts will be open to the Lord Jesus from earliest years. We pray for each of us, those of us who know you, that, Lord, we would be thrilled uh, afresh with who you are. And those of us who don't yet know you, that even tonight you would convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment, that we might rush to the Lord Jesus for forgiveness and acceptance. Thank you, you never turn anybody away who calls on you in that way. So bless our gathering tonight, we pray.